Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And you may think he's just talking about natural eyesight, but actually... In Jewish culture, to say that you had a healthy eye is to say that you were of a generous spirit. You had a generous heart. So if our generous, if our hearts are generous, our whole lives, our bodies, all that we are is an extension of that generosity. If we are not generous, if we're stingy, uh, if we are self-centered, if we're greedy, then our, the, the whole course of our life is impacted and infected by that greed. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want to speak to you today, firstly, on this subject, on the distinctive point of discipleship. What is the distinctive point of discipleship as it applies to following Jesus? And to be honest with you, growing up for me, apart from being taught to tithe as a young child, I really wasn't equipped to steward and handle money effectively. And so in my late teens and early 20s, I learnt the hard way. And so what began with consumer debt and really a mismanaged budget has now become financially healthy, fortunately, as I've observed the principles that I'm gonna teach you today And it's been a blessing to my family, but most importantly, it's been a blessing to others and to the local church. And so many people are are weary with financial overload that they don't have headspace to even navigate a conversation about money, let alone faith to believe that uh, if they begin to tithe and honour God with their resource, that they're going to step into financial freedom. But I want to tell you today that is possible for every single person in this room as we understand this biblical role of stewardship. God's Word is filled with sound instruction on all things financial wisdom. And as believers, we don't take our cue from the world, we take our cue from God's Word. God's Word is our foundation, is one of the primary values. We have seven core kingdom culture values in the church. One of those is prayer fuels power. Uh, which is an important value. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. But Jesus had more to say about money than he did about prayer. And so God's Word is filled with lots of exhortations and instruction on how you and I can approach finance. In fact, 11 of the 39 parables in the New Testament in the Gospels refer directly to money. And so Jesus had a lot to say about it because how we handle money has everything to do with being a disciple of Jesus. That's why in Luke 14, 33, the Bible says, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot or she cannot be my disciple. 
So Jesus states that if we cannot give up everything to follow Him, we cannot be His disciples. It's rather clear, isn't it? And so that word renounce brings with it the idea, the interpretation of full separation. So what Jesus is saying is that our hearts have to be fully separated from the worship of material things. We are to love God and use things, not love things and use God as an ATM machine to transact our personal selfish desires. And unfortunately, what can happen even in the church is that we can approach the teaching of finance and resource and what does God say about money from a how can I help you get more, which feeds that self-centered desire rather than firstly understanding the call to discipleship. And what does it mean to be a steward versus an owner? When we say I'm renouncing, I'm separating my heart from the worship of material things, we're saying Jesus is Lord and I am not. And if Jesus is Lord and I am not, therefore I am no longer an owner, I am a steward. You have been entrusted to be the manager of what is ultimately God's. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from above, from the Father of lights, of whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. So the breath in your lungs, the income you receive, the house you live in, your material possessions, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, everything that you have has been given to you and you are called to be a steward. Okay, And if it wasn't God's grace at work in your life, you and I would not be able to access anything. So years ago, when God asked me to sell my beloved bike and give thousands of dollars away to someone to be a blessing to them, I had to make a decision. Is Jesus Lord in my life or am I? Am I going to choose to you know, reject that and live life on my terms or am I going to partner with the Holy Spirit to be a blessing in somebody else's life because I trust and believe that God ultimately knows best. If Jesus is Lord, then what He says about money determines how I steward it. And often people who struggle with any discussion on finance in the local church really don't have a money problem as much as a lordship problem. It's the issue of stewardship versus ownership. So in Romans 8.32, the Bible says, He who did not spare His own Son, speaking of our Heavenly Father, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not graciously give us all things? Began to think about that passage and why is it that we are grateful God's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us the gift of eternal life. He's given us the breath in our lungs. We are grateful for everything that God has given to us. But the moment that God asks us to give up something or to honour Him with the tithe, we're like, the devil is a liar. And we step back and retreat from what it is that God is calling us to. We love the idea of God setting us free from our problems and our challenges and even forgiving us of our sin. And so we love the idea of Jesus as Saviour but we tend to struggle with Jesus as Lord. 
Lord of my life, Lord of my decisions, Lord of my relationships. And because we're taught in our culture that we are the Lord of our own lives. How dare anyone ever tell us anything to do with our lives, particularly calls into question the authority of God's Word. But Jesus said in verse 24 of this passage, no servant can serve two masters. You'll either be enslaved to one or the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Why? Because as my favourite African proverb says, he who tries to go in two directions at the same time will split their pants. And nobody has time for that. I don't want your pants split. Definitely don't want mine. And so uh, no one's got time to try and enter and limp along between serving two masters. You can't do it. You'll either serve one or the other. So being a disciple of Jesus is a call to be a faithful steward, not a greedy greedy owner of money. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says to his protege, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now that passage has often been misquoted where people sort of say, well, money is the root of all kinds of evils. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, according to the Bible, the Bible views money and material things as what we call amoral. It's neither moral nor immoral because there's no moral virtue in a thing. Okay, so here I have a $50 note, a pineapple, okay? And uh, this money takes on the personality of the person in whose hands it is in. So in the hands of a drug dealer, $50 can wreak a whole lot of havoc in somebody's life. It can cause someone to become enslaved and addicted. It can cause destruction in relationships. It can cause crimes to take place where people could end up losing their lives. When I was a police officer over 20 years ago, I saw people lose their lives for less than $50. So whoever's hands this thing, this amoral thing is in, will either produce the fruit of life or the fruit of death. But if I was to take this $50 and put it into Amy's hands, and Amy Mioni's on our team, on our pastoral team, and serves so effectively in the arena of leadership, admin support and building the work of the ministry with our uh, children's ministry and and all of our next generation ministries, in Amy's hands, this money could see someone get saved, become a disciple of Jesus, be reconciled in right relationship, maybe with their family, and grow up and avoiding some of the issues and challenges of brokenness that some people have gone through in their life. Why? Because... Amy's taken and stewarded the money that's in her hands and made a difference in someone else's life. And so today, Amy, I'm going to entrust this to you as a steward because I believe that you will do something God-honouring with it. See, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for out of it flow the springs of life. Your heart directs the course of your life. 
If you don't like where things are heading or what's happening around you right now because of the decisions you're making, you, you and I need to check our hearts. If we're seeing certain relationship conflicts and different things happen. Maybe there's been particular issues with resource, etc. We need to go, what's the theme of my heart? What's going on in my heart? When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to get and inherit eternal life? He was trying to justify himself before Jesus. Bad person to try and justify yourself because he's a son of God. He looks into his heart and Jesus answered, well, observe these commandments. And he said, well, I've done all of those since I was a child. And Jesus got a word of knowledge by the Holy Spirit and saw that he idolised and worshipped money, material things. He was wealthy. God doesn't have anything against wealthy people. The issue is, does wealth have you? And so he speaks to the rich young ruler and says, if you wanna be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible says this rich young ruler went away miserable and sad because he had made material things, his career, his status, his money, his God, his idol of choice and of worship. The issue today isn't do you have money, but does money have you? If you love money more than God, you've made money your idol. And the Bible is clear, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how many church services you attend or how long you've supposedly been a Christian. Whatever you make as an idol, an object of worship over God is actually a disqualifier of you entering the kingdom of heaven. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're first time in church or you've been in church all your life. And so Jesus' words to the rich young ruler isn't necessarily the specific call of every believer to go sell everything this coming week and give to the poor and go follow him. But what if Jesus was to ask you to do that? How would you respond? You see, as a preacher, I preach first to myself and then to you. Because if it doesn't work for me in my home, how's it gonna work for you? And so I seriously, as I read that in Dr. Mike's book and as I pondered that myself, I had to take a a big gulp and go, how would I feel about that? The closest I've ever got to Jesus' words is many years ago, Simone and I and our family were renting a large house in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne and I was running down the road one day and the Lord said to me, I want you to downsize to upsize. And I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. (laughs) I want to upsize to upsize. That's the Australian way. What's this downsize to upsize business? And uh, apparently Jesus wasn't changing his mind because 12 months later, he was still pretty much adamant he wanted us to downsize to upsize. And I did everything I could to upsize to upsize. But I tell you, when God's got your number and he's got a plan and a purpose for your life, you can, you can get into the UFC octagon, but only one's coming out. I'll tell you right now. And so at the end of 12 months, we moved our entire family, five of us, into two small Bible college dormitory rooms, sold things off, gave things away, put everything secondary in our lives to answering the call of God in our lives. And for two years, God completely transformed, not just our financial world, but our entire ministry. We are walking in what we're walking in today in our lives and our ministry because of a decision 
to be obedient to what God asked us to do. And I want to tell you today that it's so important that we check our hearts and we examine our hearts because it's the never-ending pursuit of more that will shipwreck our faith and destroy our lives. J.D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough money? He said, just a little bit more. There's something about the default of greed that just wants a little bit more. And yet the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who desire to be rich fall into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I can't tell you as a Christian leader the amount of times I've counseled people or journeyed with people that once were on fire for God, once had a call and a gift in their life and God used in amazing ways and yet they desired the temporal things of this world at the expense of the eternal, their relationship with God and today no longer attend church, no longer are in relationship with Jesus and their relationships are plunged into ruin and destruction and all sorts of financial issues in their life because they made an idol out of something that they were called to steward. Not to be an owner, but to steward. You see, if you ever get bitten by a snake, all of us know you need to get the antidote to counteract the poison. In the same way that poison affects your natural body, greed affects your spiritual heart. And the antidote to greed is to understand that you're called to be a steward. The antidote to greed is to understand that you're a disciple of Jesus first before everything else. The antidote to greed is a spirit of generosity. You see, stewardship is a heart issue. It's not a money issue. Some people think, well, you know, when I get more money and get out of this situation, I'll start tithing then. I've learned if you don't start tithing with the little you have, you'll never tithe with a lot. Funny story of a guy who came to a pastor and said, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling to tithe. I earn $5,000 a week. Would you please pray for me to help me to tithe? And the pastor said, sure, I'll pray. And said, Father, would you take Bob's income back to $50 a week to teach him how to tithe? And Bob's like, hang on a sec, that's not what I meant. Well, if you aren't faithful with the little you got, you won't be faithful with the much that God wants to bring into your life. And the key to increase in the kingdom of God always comes back to faithful stewardship of whatever is in your hands. Uh, Over 20 years ago, in the 90s, I had dreams and visions of what God would do with our family and my life and my ministry. And none of it came just because I had a dream and a vision. It came because of faithful stewardship. When no one was looking and I didn't care whether anyone looked, I wanted to be obedient to the one who was looking. Are you living for the approval of the Holy One or are you living for the approval of the great mass of people that actually don't frankly care anyway? And so many of us are living life trying to keep up with the Joneses of this world when God has called you to be faithful with what is in your hand right now in your life. Not because God's trying to restrict you or bind you. People look at the principles of God's Word and obedience and this idea of slavery to God as being this negative thing when actually it's an empowering thing that brings you into a life of freedom and victory. People who say, I I just want to do what I want to do don't realise that doing whatever you want to do makes you a slave to sin. 
You'll be a slave to something. It's either a slave to the idols of this world or you'll be a sanctified, empowered and anointed and free, victorious slave and servant of Jesus Christ. It all comes back to this revelation of stewardship versus ownership. You see, stewardship is the biblical handling of money, including tithing 10% of all of our increase, budgeting, saving, investing. All of these things are an important part of stewardship. Generosity is sacrificial giving over and above our tithe to transform our hearts. Ultimately, generosity is not just about meeting needs in people's lives, in our families, or even in the church. It's actually about becoming more like Jesus. And one of the distinctives of Jesus' teaching was an emphasis on the heart. In fact, 860 times in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there is teaching around the heart. 175 times in the New Testament. Why? Because the heart is the epicenter of our lives. That's why Jesus said in verse 21 of this passage, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your treasure, your finances follow where your heart leads. Where your heart directs, where your heart leads, there your treasure will go. Most of us give enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to transform our hearts. We tip God, we give to this or that, but we don't really engage in the sort of giving that brings us into greater Christ-likeness. You see, only those whose hearts have been transformed can effectively steward money for the purpose for which God has given it to us. You say, what's the purpose for which God has given us money? Isn't it to look after my family? Isn't it so that I can meet my needs? Well, yes, God is absolutely committed and concerned about looking after you, but He doesn't want you to be anxious or worried about that. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request. And so many people are bound in anxiety and worry and fear when it comes to this issue of finance. It's because they think they're in control of everything. But when you become a steward and honour God's Word and God's principles, it changes your approach and how you live your life. The purpose for which God has given us resources, Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God, For it is He who gives you the power to get wealth so that, two important words, everybody repeat after me, so that, so that that He, God, may confirm His covenant. It is God who gives us power to have an income, to raise resource, so that God would fulfill His ultimate purposes on planet Earth. I'm not here, you're not here as followers of Jesus. Even people that are created in the image and likeness of God and yet are living a secularized heathen lifestyle, they may not know it or understand it yet, but they've been created in the image and likeness of God not to serve and live for themselves, but to actually fulfill God's covenant purposes in the earth. And when you get a revelation of that, it changes how you approach resource. It changes what, how you respond. And instead of a negative, resistant attitude, there is this 
appetite and openness of get to. I don't have to, I get to be a blessing. I get to make a difference in someone's life. I get to meet that need. I get to pay for someone else's meal in a restaurant. I get to help that person out with their bills. I get to pay for someone's groceries. I get to tithe. I get to serve the, the God's vision for the house. I get to. We're gonna move from have to or not to, to get to. That can only happen if God changes your heart. And because God has called all of us into covenant relationship with Him, every disciple of Jesus is called to be a steward of the money that God has given to them to build God's house, not serve themselves. And this keeps on coming through from the Hebrews in the Old Testament to the believers in the New Testament. There are several metaphors for the church in the New Testament. One is for uh, the metaphor of the bride of Christ. We like that metaphor. It's a good metaphor. The next one, flock of sheep. Not so exciting. I mean, why couldn't we be called like a herd or pack of lions? No, we're known as a flock of sheep. Well, I just feel exhorted and encouraged. Another metaphor for the New Testament church is an army. Another metaphor is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only are you a temple individually, but collectively, we are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there is another metaphor that is so important and relevant to all of us, and that is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, we understand if you read that, that we are one body made up of many members. And we understand that in the context of that passage is spiritual gifts, that we are all gifted to come and serve God's house with our gifting and our calling and our grace and whatever resources God gives us. But many of us don't apply that when it comes to this issue of finance and giving. And yet we're all called to serve God's house with the resources that God has given to us. Now, when I left high school, I worked as a physio assistant in a hospital down the road, not far from here, which is now Epworth Hospital. And uh, we were helping rehabilitate car accident victims who had suffered horrific injuries and had lost the use of their limbs. And so they were uh, on TAC insurance claims and uh, they were compensated because the government society had recognised that they were disabled through brain injuries and through various injuries. And so I would work with the physios and the doctors in the hydro pool and, and in the hospital to work on their bodies and retrain their brains to actually get back some measure of strength and enjoyment of life. And so each of these patients and clients and people were recognised as disabled because they had lost the use of their limbs. Well, if you think about the church as a body of Christ, statistically today, across the Western church, and very much true here in Australia, only 3 to 5% of any given church tithe. And for us as a church, it's only just a little bit higher. Five to 10% of our church, Numa Globally, tithes. Any given Western church, around about 10 to 20% of any believer congregation 
serves in God's house with their gifts, their abilities, their time. And so if we were to talk about this concept of being disabled as the lack of a use of limbs or the incapacitated nature of the members of the body, we could actually say that the body of Christ is maybe a little bit disabled in its ability to be able to affect change in the world. And people say, well, why doesn't the church do more? And God says, well, why don't you honour me with the tithe? Why don't you bring your gift and serve my purposes in your generation? There's a little thing coming up on the screen. If you were to look, take three to 5% of your body, it would be just above the ankles. If you only had your feet and ankles to use, the rest of your body you couldn't use, you'd be completely incapacitated. And yet this is what most of the Western church finds itself in because one, pastors don't want to preach the Bible. Two, believers get upset when pastors just preach the truth. And three, because we ignore it and excuse it and think that's for somebody else, that's not for me. I want to tell you today, God has called all of us on mission and we're all called to be stewards in the house and whether little, much or somewhere in between, we're all called to make a difference in people's lives and it begins with stewardship. It begins with understanding I am not the owner, God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything I have belongs to you, it comes from you. And you call me into partnership with you. You see, it's a foreign concept in the New Testament for people to attend a church, watch worship, listen to a message and receive of spiritual things, but give nothing to God's house. That's a foreign concept. Doesn't even exist in the Bible. Can you imagine with me that you rented a house and the landlord would come and knock on the door each month to collect rent? And as you open the door each month, you recognise who the landlord was and you burst into praise and worship. Oh, you are the owner. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're worthy of all of my praise and all of my honour. I love you. I honour you. And then slam the door shut in the landlord's face. He might have an interesting response to that. I reckon you'd get away with that one month. But then the next month, the moment you burst into song, the landlord's going to be like, would you just stop singing and show me the money? Do a Jerry Maguire on you. Why? Because even in the commercial market, we understand that there is responsibilities that you and I have. The world understands this. The church needs to get this. The only thing that Jesus is building is the local church. It's the only thing. That's why I say to every business person when I'm speaking to business leaders, you better attach your business to the local church. I speak to every student, you wanna see God move in your life and use you powerfully for His kingdom, and see a harvest of souls, attach your studies, attach your, the, the, the student uh, responsibilities you have and the income you have in your part-time job, attach it to the local church. The only thing that will go on for all eternity is the church of Jesus Christ. And it is incongruent to sing Jesus is Lord on Sunday, but withhold what is God's on Monday. There are no freeloaders in the kingdom of God. 
Why? Because this denies the very nature of what it means to be the church. The church is the people of God on mission together. We've turned church into a show, an event that people watch and spectate. This is the barracks. This is the equipping forum. This is where we gather and we worship and we celebrate and we honour God. But we're all on mission. We're all, whether it's your job, whether it's your school, your neighbourhood, your marriage, your relationships, not only do we need people to serve, to facilitate what happens here on the weekend, but we don't just do things on the weekend. It's so funny, I have people come up to me and say, oh, you've worked one day this week, that's awesome. How's your day work this week? As if I'm supposed to be like, oh yeah, you're so funny. And it's like, if you only knew how hard we work, not because of any other reason other than we're captivated by God's heart for lost people. I'm telling you, if you're doing this for yourself, you better find another job. Because you don't get into this game for yourself. You do it because you've caught God's heart for people. There's no such thing as a, just a, a free pass when it comes to following Jesus. He laid down his life. Why is it that we're so grateful that he laid down his life, but we won't lay down ours? I can honestly tell you, we're doing what we're doing today, regardless of the affirmation of people, the cheers as I preach, etc., etc., because many, many years ago when I surrendered my life at the altar and said, Jesus, you're my Lord, I'm following you, my life is yours, yeah. we understood that to follow Jesus meant to give up everything. Yeah. And my finances are yours, my time is yours, my life is yours, my family is yours, everything I am, I present my body as a living sacrifice. There is no other form of Christianity. That's it. And in the simplicity of that, when that is resolved in your heart, Jesus is Lord and I am not, tithing becomes so easy. It's not even an issue. You mean, is that all? You know, in the Old Testament, they tithed 20%. Plus offerings. No wonder the Jews are so blessed. Introduce me to a broke Jew. Not one. I've never met one yet. (laughs) Can I just preach the truth here today? You know what I love? You're you're warming up to my sense of humour. You're warming up. I can be more myself. Because, I, you know, this is how I think. But it's sort of, but seriously, it's common sense. You know, even Lindsay Fox gets this. He goes, no one ever became poor in giving money away. If a secular transport logistics tycoon can get it, why can't the Church of Jesus Christ? Come on, that deserves a clap. You cannot outgive God. Every time that I've responded, not just lived a lifestyle of tithing, 
By the way, don't tithe once and go, well, it didn't work. No, we don't tithe to get something back. We tithe out of obedience to his word because he's God. But every time I've given generously to someone or something, I've never lacked. Never. Even when I downsized, upsized, and I'm thinking, oh, it's all going backwards and we're going to live in a Bible college dormitory room for the rest of our lives. And the Lord's like, you watch what I do. Comes back to your trust. Comes back to your faith. Comes back to your understanding. I'm a steward. You're the owner. And I'm going to live a life of discipleship. That's why the distinctive point of discipleship today is how you steward God's money. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Begin with stewardship. The Bible says in Luke 16, 11, if you've, been, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? What are true riches? People's souls. And we don't want to just teach you how to live a blessed life. I could just begin this whole series by saying, hey, if you want to be more blessed, give. But actually, that is secondary to the call to be a follower of Jesus. Giving tithes and offerings and stewardship of our time, energy and resource is not actually about living a blessed life. It's about who we worship. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.